Hello everyone, welcome to the Beauty School Bobby podcast brought to you by Tennessee School of Beauty. Today we are here with one of the most supportive and incredible women that I've ever met in my entire life, Bonnie Webb. Bonnie works for Salon Centric in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, so we wanted to talk to her to get a different perspective of somebody that's in the industry but not necessarily behind the chair. Um, you've heard her name mentioned on the Daniel Mason Jones podcast. Um, she's somebody that affects everyone that comes into her life. So welcome to the show, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Okay, so we haven't done this in a while. I did this on the last podcast because I was like close with the person I was interviewing. But what's the last show that you binge watched? Uh, Grace and Frankie. Are you obsessed with that? Yes. You know Chad is obsessed with that oh, show yes. also. Yes. No wonder I like, love him. He loves it so much. Yes. So are you all caught up like you've seen every oh, episode? Oh, I am. And in fact, my daughter and me, we, we binge watched it twice. Oh my gosh, I love that. I haven't started. I think we watched like the first episode, but I feel like I need to give it yes. Give it, it more of a shot. To yeah, like, and in the beginning it starts out maybe a little slow, so keep watching yeah. it because it's hysterical. Well, I love new recommendations, so I love that. That's that's your last. It's so perfect for you. Like it's so perfect that that's what you're watching right now. Um, so I want to talk to you about um your story. So I first want to talk about what you're doing in the industry now because I want everyone to understand kind of what your job is. Okay. And then how you came into the industry after that. So I want to talk about what you're doing right now every day. What's your job? Okay. I'm a salon sales consultant. We always change our titles, but that's what they call us these days. And we work and partner with salons from high-end commission salons to actual individual salons, too. Um, And I, on a daily basis, I guess, it depends on how long I spend in an account, but I could see anywhere from possibly, on a Monday, four accounts, to on a busier day, maybe back in the old days when we were doing milk route, I call it, uh, I may have called on 20 salons. Wow. But now probably average eight accounts a day. Okay. And that's you going into the salon to order product and help them with stocking what they need, all salon supplies, correct? Yes. Okay. Our job has really changed over the years because um, we are in a new, obviously in a new day and time. Yeah. And salon centric, we have online ordering now, as well as we have three salon-centric stores. Okay. So we all work together as a team. So we don't really actually do as much ordering now or when I refer to it yeah. uh, previously as the milk run because we work with a lot of our salons now partnering to help plan promotions. Okay. And um, classes and, and classes and education. And I really feel like this industry is just taken just such a... It's, it's an exciting shift, but mm-hmm. they're, they just treat... It's really more, I guess, a business Mm -hmm. uh, as it used to be. We're retailing. We're a lot of salons are opening boutiques. It's an exciting time to be be in the business. Although, honestly, I've never been in it when it wasn't. (laughs) Right. So how long have you been in the industry? When did you first come into um, working for Salon Centric? I started in sales. Um, I'm going to have my 25th year in sales in March. Oh, my gosh. 
Wow. So you've seen the industry in Knoxville over the last 25 years. Um, we've commented a lot on the podcast. So you have seen this shift in the last five to 10 years, like seeing the industry change. But you guys have adapted to that by these classes and focusing more on education um, as well. So you all help bring in artists that are nationally known to other salons, correct? Or get them in front of stylists? Yes, we do. A lot of our larger commission salons, of course, they can, they're big enough and their loyalty programs help build points and they're able to bring some of these guest artists in complimentary. Yeah. But for that, the, uh, I don't want to say average, but for a medium to small salon, mm-hmm. what we do a lot of times is our company will bring in an event and we'll do a ticketed event to make an artist of their that com- that caliber affordable for them. Yeah, and one of the things we talk about on the podcast a lot is why continued education is so important. And I have a lot of people that are like, okay, well, maybe I'm on my own, so how do I get that continued education? Yes. We really like to promote going to a salon that provides that for you, but going through a company like Salon Centric um, would help organize those events as well. So you might not have to be, you know, out of huge lawn if you're kind of on your own or in a suite or whatever you can still take advantage of this education as well yeah I'm correct absolutely and I think one thing that's so frustrating to me because I'm so passionate about education I love these young kids and I love that they're on their phones and they're watching all these videos and so all of a sudden they say, okay, well, I don't need that balayage class because I'm an expert because Mm -hmm. they're following this one and that one. What's really important is coming together with other artists and Mm -hmm. networking and you just do not do that when you're watching a YouTube video. Right. Yeah. You're kind of separating yourself Mm -hmm. if you're sitting there alone watching it, but being in a class with somebody surrounded by other stylists, I think that you've seen the the advantage of being in that room, and I think that's really incredible. Yes, and there's a lot of artists, like Sanvia, we'll use him as an example. He does such an amazing job um, sharing his craft and expertise digitally, Mm -hmm. but I don't want anyone to mistake. There is a big difference in being in the presence of someone with the heart and passion of an educator like a Daniel Mason Jones or a Sam, you're not going to get that same experience. Yeah, and you get to see it because then you see these stylists when you go into their salons, maybe the week after they've seen them, you know the difference. Like yes. You get to see that reaction of, so what did you think about Sam or What did you think about Daniel Mason Jones? You get to see that um, firsthand, and I think that that's something that's really special because if you, and we'll talk about how you're not behind the chair and how you did go to beauty school and all that stuff, yes. but I think that you maybe would, you would miss that. You want to get to see that and I think that your personality specifically is really like takes that in and really like grows off of that um, and feeds off of that energy but to see that excitement is is awesome and it's funny we talk about how there's something different happening in Knoxville and how there's like these waves of like things are happening and people in parts of the world that are way should be way ahead of us LA New York they're noticing Knoxville Mm -hmm. and I think it's because of companies like salon centric that are bringing a lot of salons together to offer this education that wouldn't be there regularly so I think it's I think you get to do a really fun thing so now I want to talk to you about how you got into um the industry because you are a Tennessee School of Beauty graduate so when did you graduate what year did you graduate I graduated from Tennessee School of Beauty when they had three locations 
patients, actually, from the Alcoa. Oh, you went to Alcoa? I, I did. don't think I knew that. I, I feel did. like we haven't talked about this. Yes. Okay, And I awesome. graduated from beauty school in 1987. Love! That's awesome. And I was <laughs> one of the, I guess, thousands, I don't know, of girls that were in love with Gordon Brown, <laughs> Adam's father. So, yeah. Uh, but so did do you remember like coming to visit the school enrolling in beauty school like do you remember that moment I do not remember enrolling but I have a funny story I'll tell on Adam um, my mother is in the industry and she was after she got over the fact that I was not going to go to college yeah. and that I had this passion and I was set on beauty school of course she said we had to go to Tennessee School of Beauty is, she, is she a graduate uh, she is okay. Actually, so years ago, second generation graduate. Yes, of and uh, the one that was downtown initially, uh-huh, and I've heard Street. of some really scary steps that mm-hmm. were really. It's um, one of the things that when I've asked Adam, and you can hear this on his podcast, but when I've asked him about what he remembers, like the first time stepping into his family business, uh-huh. um, he says it's the steps on Gay Street that were just like straight up. Yeah. Um, and that's how you would get to the classrooms and stuff. So I've he never mentioned been those there, steps as well. But I'll visualize I've it. I've reached out recently to the building to see if we can oh, if we can go visit, a, but I'm sure it's like completely different now and I haven't yeah. heard back yet. But that would be so fun. Be awesome. Yeah. But Adam at the time was a tennis instructor. Mm-hmm. And I was in high school on the tennis team, and a, I think a rainstorm or something came in, and we had like an hour before my mother came to pick me up. Yeah. And somehow I suckered him into taking me for a tour, and he took me. Of, of the school in Alcoa or no, on Gay Street? No, he took me. It was Western Avenue. Oh, Wait, my wait. Gosh. No, yeah, Western, Western Plaza. Plaza. Sorry. Yeah, uh, Western Plaza. Yes. And so, in fact, we I laugh now because my mother, after tenant, I was like, well, we got rained out, but Adam, t-, and of course I was sold. I yeah. was sold. <laughs> we did the tour. I don't know. He, Adam may have needed to bum money for him his dad. I don't know why we went, but all I know is I feel like it was destined. I mean, we were meant to go there that day. Yeah. And I got in the car with my mother and I said, well, I can just tell you, I'm going to to beauty school. I and, can um, see you saying it with those, like, just matter of fact, like, yeah. I'm doing this. And, well, it's weird because that's the year that Adam came into the industry. Like, that's oh, when he came into okay, the business. Oh, okay, so maybe. And I'm saying know. that only because it's the year I was born. So I always remember that. Uh, oh, that's... oh, go ahead and make it go. <laughs> oh, Bobby. But I'm going to say that that's why I remember. That's the year that he came into the business. So I wonder if it was, like, if you had something and to maybe, do with him coming in I as well. Know. And maybe he wasn't even there then because I almost imagine at the time uh of course had a crush on him i was gonna say was there any part of your mom that was like okay i'm gonna set them up no i think i was younger enough than him but i definitely um i i I envisioned him at the time as a college student okay or a recent graduate so you're right that might have worked that year that he went into it but i do remember my mother saying i was paying for a tennis lesson not for him to recruit you to but I was so that's so Adam Brown to have like this other thing yes. on the side that he's like wait hang on I think yeah. I have something for you I'm, like, I'm grateful so for that rain yeah that I mean, that's incredible that that's an amazing story yeah. like I have we talked about this have you guys I don't think I wait I have told Adam before yeah um I, I don't know that. that you and I have. no I didn't know that that's how this all happened so you come to beauty school obviously um I think we can we can acknowledge that maybe your mom wasn't 100% on board with you coming uh-huh. into this industry so tell me about that and tell me about talking to her and your dad about 
doing well, that. Well, this is the funny thing, and um, she'll probably kill me for this later, <laughs> but she loved the industry. Understand that, that mm-hmm. she was in it at the time, and she absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And my mother has done, uh, well, I'm 51, and I can't remember a time in my life that my mother was not doing nails. So and my funny. mother still, to this day, works two days a week at a nail salon. Um, in Knoxville. So amazing. And not because she has to. Sometimes we fuss at her and say, hey, you don't need the money. Let's retire, you know? And she's like, these people are important to me. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to have lunch with all these ladies. I might as well do their nails, and I don't see as good as I used to, but they don't either. (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) They don't see it's messed up. It's fine. They can't see. But going back to her trying to talk me out of it, it was just because we all want an easier way for Mm -hmm. our children. Right. And the ironic part about this is my mother had, um, one of her goals was to get her college degree. My father, my stepfather who raised me, uh, is a, had his PhD and retired from the University of Tennessee, and that was on my mother's bucket list. So long story short, she finally did it. She got her degree in social work at the age of 50. What? Yes, she's amazing. Oh my gosh. But here is the funny story. She did, uh, it's not funny that she hated it, Yeah. She, for two years she worked in social work for hospice, mm-hmm. and she just wasn't herself, and I hate to say she lost her spark, but I felt like she had for a little while, yeah. and I think once she had gotten that college degree and thought she needed to utilize it, and then um, all of a sudden, it's like she made this decision, she said, hey guys, I've decided I've been doing social work my whole life. I miss doing nails. Yeah. I made more money. Mm-hmm. And I miss those relationships. Yeah. And so the good thing about this is when I was pleading my case, I said, Mom, look, you just spent all this time in college and you just went back to doing nails. You yeah. love it. You can't tell me not to do something. Right. And so it's so funny because I'm a huge believer and I didn't even know them because I was like 18 years old, but I believe in the law of attraction mm-hmm. or your thoughts manifest your future. 100%. And literally, I knew of a lot of people. I knew of the, the Browns because they were well-known in the industry, in our industry uh, in Knoxville. But I also knew of the Jacobs. And they owned, at the time, Royal Beauty Supply. And I think I was just more in the know than the average kid because I grew up in a salon. Right. Uh, and uh, my mother worked at Medicine Kirshner, which was the salon back in the day. So I yeah. knew these people. And I said to my mother that day, well, if doing hair doesn't work out or I'm no good at it, I'll just go into sales. And I'll sell beauty supplies. Yeah. And it's so funny how later that came. It is what happened. Yes. That's exactly what you ended up doing. Yes. So I love that. So do you remember any pieces of beauty school that, like, stick out to you? Or, like, what do you remember about beauty school? I mean, you were in it for 1,500 hours. So uh-huh. what do you remember about it? Well, I was the um, nursing student. You know, that's back when we had to wear the white uniforms. Oh gosh. Um, it's so horrible. I don't understand now. And maybe, I mean, I understand times were different or whatever. Uh-huh. I just can imagine what I would see uh-huh. nowadays if everyone was wearing yeah. white scrubs. Yeah. And what I would not want to see and why I'm happy that we have like a more you know, up-to-date uniform. What I remember is, and I've listened to some of your podcasts and I, I do still talk and have a friend that I met in beauty school yeah. so long ago. But what I really remember out of beauty school is the instructors. Yeah. Their hearts. Mm-hmm. And and uh, one of the instructors at the, at the time was hard on me 
Mm-hmm. And I did not feel like she liked me. And she pushed my buttons. In fact, I go home and cry sometimes because she hates me. But looking back now, I know that she saw something in me. Yeah. So she pushed me harder. Yeah. And that's one thing that I think that it's it's hard when you're in here because it's easy to get frustrated. Or to, like, you put so much pressure on yourself. So I think that, like, most of the students that are here, when they can't get it the first time, when their their haircut isn't perfect the first time, they get frustrated. Yes. And when they have a, an instructor that's pushing them even past that point, it's hard to know why they're doing that. But I think you're right. I think it's when the instructors see something in you that they know that you can do better and that you're going to push through this. Like, they yes. do push you a little bit harder. And that's maybe not expected Yes. When you're coming into beauty school. Because you had, um, and, and that's why I have such a soft spot for your instructors yeah. when I come, because there was the mother. There was one mm-hmm. that we went to cry to. We yeah. were having a bad day or our boyfriend broke up with us. Yeah. You know, and then there was one that was more the friend that was a little bit younger. But they, those relationships were so important to me mm-hmm. and impacted my future. And then one other thing I, uh, that really stood out, I told Adam not all that long ago, and I may remember the um, percentage incorrectly, but I, this is how I remember it. This is how I perceived it at the time. Gordon Brown set us all down when we started. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, I heard one out of 30 of you are going to be a rock star. Mm-hmm. That's what I heard in my mind. Yeah. That didn't. That seems like really not that many out of 30 people, but he challenged me that day to think, huh, I looked around that room and I was like, well, I hate it for the rest of you guys, but I'm (laughs) going to be that one. Yes. And what's funny later, I really wasn't even that good at hair. (laughs) Yes, but there's so much that goes into it behind of just being like skilled in hair. I mean, there's so much of the building those relationships and just making sure that you're fostering your client and all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it, but I don't think one out of 30 is that crazy. I mean, when I think about students and classes that are starting and where everyone kind of lands, mm-hmm. I think that, that that probably sounds about right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems harsh yes. in the beginning. It seems like, oh, wow. But then when you see that, like, all of a sudden people aren't showing up, okay, uh-huh. so then we've lost two. And yes. then, you know, and it's just to life or to people for it to not, beauty school not being what they expected it to be. Yes. Um, or they have babies or they have, you know, like it just slowly kind of dwindles. And I think that's the thing I really think he probably meant to successful and treat this as a career yes definitely. because back then this was 1987 a lot of people were doing this part-time or i'm gonna do hair until i get married and have a baby right and and, and i get frustrated to this day because sometimes i'm sure you see that too oh yeah you know like, do you, you want a career this, kind of or do you want yeah, a job exactly and that's where that's where it was hard for me when i was meeting with these students and i'd be like oh my gosh they're gonna be so good and i would introduce them to everybody and then they get in here and they don't want to put in the work and then i'm like oh you had so much of that in the beginning you had that flame inside of you and it it went away and we do our best to foster that but sometimes it's just they can't yes. i mean it yes. just is it's a personal choice of whether you love this or not but i yes. think that like the important thing is that we're having the conversation about what this industry really looks like so that there isn't this false idea of what's on YouTube or what's on Instagram like we can really talk about what it takes to be successful and I mean in interviewing Daniel Mason Jones and hearing that he you know was working over 100 hours a week like there and that's when you make it that's mm-hmm. when you've already like made it and it's just like this extra that's how much you're working that it's yes. not an easy industry I think that those are the conversations but in 1987 the industry was different mm-hmm. it was completely different than it 
than it is now and I love that you get to see students and you get to go then go into a salon where you've seen them as students yes. and now they're working in the salon so I feel yes. like you get like a really good side of it a really good side of it as well so um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about so you've been in the industry you know for a while been working with salon centric so um, what is it about your job that you love and what do you love what you're doing now instead of being behind the chair instead of being a stylist you know doing services every day well, that's interesting because I've thought about this. Um, when I first went into sales, I had so many people immediately say, did you not like doing hair? I yeah. absolutely love doing hair. Yeah. Um, this is actually why I stopped doing hair. Is at the time I had gotten married and we didn't have great benefits. And mm-hmm. it wasn't, I kept thinking, well, if I'm going to have good health insurance, because the salon I didn't work at didn't provide that. Mm-hmm. Since then, we've made a lot of strides. And I right. know that a lot of larger salons help people uh, figure that out or have programs um, to help them get insured. But it was an opportunity for me to go to work um, in a in the same industry that I loved, but to have benefits. So that's really why I did it. There are so many similarities in standing behind the chair and being in sales. Mm-hmm. And the reason I love it, and I, I loved both of them, um, is there is never a single day that's the same. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I can see it for what you're doing, just watching you do your thing. I can see that it would always be different for you. Oh, yeah. And do when I worked in the salon and I'll just have to give Madison Kirshner a tweak for yeah. those uh, those dinosaurs like me that may remember that they were so ahead of their time yeah what was Madison Kirshner Madison Kirshner was you? a huge large commission salon and I think that it's important we mention them because I think the culture of commission salons in the Knoxville area I think they are to credit to that mm-hmm. a lot because the booth in industry or the suite industry did not move in here till much later mm-hmm. because we really had a commission culture yeah and also the level of education mr kersher and mr metz were amazing they were uh, color artists for wella oh wow back in the day yeah. and we had over at one point we had i think 108 employees we I did we didn't even know what we were calling wow. it then, but uh, yeah. now it's almost expected if you work in a large salon. But I can tell you, in 1987 when I started, nobody else had to be an assistant. Yeah, and so I went through that program, mm-hmm. and I think that's so valuable. And one thing I would I guess say um, is now I see people, and I've some of your students I know them, Bobby. They're yeah. friends of my daughters or friends yeah. of someone I know, mm-hmm. and they go, I don't go to a salon I don't want to be an associate mm-hmm. well I was a shampoo assistant shampoo tech whatever they were and yeah. I would not trade those nine months there at Medicine Kirshner for what I learned yeah because not that you all do a wonderful job of pouring into us while we're here yeah but there's so much about just interacting with the customers right um I remember my first day I I did think I knew it all mm-hmm. I'm not gonna kid you and I was like really <laughs> that's eager still a thing when people oh, graduate yeah. and they dressed then I mean this was a hoisy-toisy salon and this was in West Knoxville it was okay it was a Near, very close to where Chili's at the gallery is okay. on Kingston Pike. Yeah. And I mean, it was who's who's. I mean, everybody wanted to work at Metz and Kirshner then, but we dressed up. You wore black and white, and 
women were wearing stilettos before I even knew what stilettos were. <laughs> that was back when we wore pantyhose. It was very formal. Yeah. But anyway, I was eager and thought I looked good, and I go to help some stylists. And she said, okay, long hair neutralize that perm. And I know I look like a deer in the headlight because I had no idea what she was talking about. Because yeah. we had done our standard perm techniques here, right. which is good, and that's what we need to do right. in school. Right, for and But I was stuff, like, yeah. okay, what does she mean? So I had to swallow a lot of pride. And then eventually just realized that I didn't know half of what I really thought I knew. Yeah. And they had, a, um, a at that time, assistants that would work with several stylists. And then if you got lucky, you got to mentor under someone that was in the gallery, which was even more expensive. And they were really the stuff. So yeah. I mentored or worked under a lady then. And I tell you, I credit her with a lot of my success in my career even to this day yeah. on just customer service, how to give the client more than they expect. Mm-hmm. Just those little extra things. Yeah. And her name was Ann Collins. And she actually has a studio in her home now. And wow. she is one of my customers. Isn't That's that funny? incredible. How Came, that comes full circle. Yes. It does. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. And you've obviously, like, through then, how did you get to Salon Centric? So were they, oh, okay. the, were I, they the sales people skipped, at Mads and Kirchner? I skipped or? a few years. She was a stylist. And I actually know what happened is then... I was just a little peon assistant, <laughs> but we had these reps that would come in, like myself now, yeah. and at the time, we had um, a rep, his name was Mike Ogle, and he worked for Raymond Salon Services, actually, which would, you know, uh, the company's no longer in business now, mm-hmm. but they needed educators, so okay. I started my career years ago. <laughs> this is funny, selling Paul Mitchell, which actually is one of my competitors now. <laughs> I love that. That's so And so funny. What, I went in to be an uh, educator. Okay. But I really went into it knowing if I ever got from behind the chair, it would be more to go into a position that had benefits for my family, not necessarily because I didn't like what I was doing. The education was just a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. To getting into sales. And it's funny how I've also seen my position change, Yeah, Bobby. Oh, I'm uh, sure. There was a few years when Herb Jacobs decided, and he was very successful, but he got into this, well, I think I'm only going to hire people that have a college degree. And he tried that for a few years, and it didn't go that great. I mean, just with this industry, I feel like you're shutting out so much passion um, if that's what you're looking for, like you're only looking for that thing. Not to say that if you have a college degree, you Absolutely. can have that passion for the you can industry have both. as well. That but would be ideal. I do think that like so much of this industry, and I I hope that this has come across in the podcast, is that like you just have to have that fire inside of you yes. for this. So I think that you'd be shutting out so many quality people if that's the way that we went. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine if we were like we only hire college graduates. Yeah. Well, it didn't we work. have no instructors whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, this is it not didn't the same work. Thing. And eventually, because so many reps like myself, and that's what I would just tell to your tell your students. Yes, our positions maybe don't fall into their lap. You may yeah. have to work to get it. Right. But there are other opportunities out there. One hundred percent. I mean, I know people that are working for skincare companies. I know people that are working, they're a manufacturer rep. Where I work for Salon Centric and I represent many brands, Mm -hmm. there are people that work for one brand. 
Um, so there's just a lot of different unique opportunities and I'm glad that uh, it shifted back to realizing that their beauty school um, education was as much or more valuable than a college education. Right. But hey, ideally do both, whatever. <laughs> well, especially for you. I'm glad it's for me because kind of said work. no. Yeah, yeah, you kind of said no to that. Now you have this opportunity. But I think that um, with our school specifically, I mean, I know other schools are different and, you know, you have the options that are around you. However, yes. I think that when you find a beauty school that is not so product driven, it even opens you up even more yes. because we are not product focused. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, you know, several products that like, it doesn't matter to us yes. which product you use when you graduate. We have found a very good fit for us. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean that like there aren't other fits out there that are going to open you up to whatever, because the realization is if you have 20 students that start in a cosmetology class, um, the chances of all of them going with this one brand are small because it's yes. not going to fit all 20 of them and their needs and whatever. So I think it's really cool that you get to represent different brands yes. and that you're not just like specialized into yes. into one thing. So one of the things that you do as far as selling product um, or stocking salons with product um, to sell to customers, a lot of customers that are in the salons every day, they're not salon professionals. So they don't understand why their stylist is maybe recommending certain products and then when they get to the to the checkout they get scared of the prices of the products so why is it so important to make sure that you're using professional products and buying them from a salon um, which is a lot of you know what you're doing in your job why is that so important well there's a couple reasons it's important but I'll tell you I had something happen to me recently that's hilarious uh, that just really instilled in me why we should be stressing this because I was like well one of my best friends admitted to me that she had been using over-the-counter shampoo and conditioner. She is probably, I'm guessing, sorry if you're listening, 80% gray. Okay. And so she's like, my color just does not last anymore. And finally, I I gave her professional shampoo and conditioner. Mm -hmm. And she literally told me, she said, it is amazing how much longer my color lasted. Yeah. And I was like, wow, we forget that. Number one, it's a point of difference. It's going to support that chemical service you just paid. Right. And I know sometimes, Bobby, um, the price is an issue, but if you think about it, most of our professional products are concentrated. And so you may be getting at Target or Walmart or whatever a $6 bottle of shampoo, but if you will invest more, you're going to use less product and it's going to also help you with the longevity of your color. But what I'll take uh, just a minute and say that I think is important that a lot of people do not know is most salons support their educational budget with their retail sales. So it is huge. My sister not long ago said, oh, well, I was in the mall and I picked this up at, you know, one of those haircutting places. I said, you did not buy your hairspray from your stylist? And I was so aggravated. I went, you really did that? And I was like, that helps them. You know, education, funding their shows, their transportation, their hotel room, it costs money. And so I really encourage people, if you're listening and you didn't know that, to support your local salon and buy your products from them. Yeah. You're going to go with the prescription that your doctor recommends. 
you should go with the products that your stylist recommends. Yeah, and I think that being in the chair and not having that knowledge of everything that's going on with your hair and why it looks so good and all of that stuff, I think it's important. Like, your stylist should definitely be informing you and teaching you why this product is so important. But, yeah, you have to put that money back in to take care of what you're spending. So much money. I mean, I can just speak for my husband when he's like, what? It's how much you get your hair done, you know? <laughs> you can tell you it's done at beauty school for free, but you still pay. But I also know, like you said, that it supports their training, their continued education yes. their extra classes which I know as soon as my stylist takes a class or bringing back direct knowledge from somebody else to use on my hair and my service is going to be better so yes. yeah I think it's really important to make sure so I know a lot of people will find off brands in CVS and Kroger and whatever so what Amazon for example mm-hmm. what tips can you give to somebody um, and what can you tell them about what that product could contain I would just say look for products that are in salons only. We have a lot of counterfeit products. We've had products tested that you would not believe what shows up because salons go out of business, it's diverted, it sits in a warehouse five years, it's contaminated. Mm-hmm. Contaminated. Um, one thing to look for now that we're a lot more aware of is sulfate-free, paraffin-free. Yes. And again, I would always just go for that consultation. I would truly ask your stylist now most brands a lot of times we like to support um, the color with the shampoo and conditioner but it doesn't always have to be the same brand but still consult with them on what they recommend and just know that you're helping them when you shop locally in their salon yeah i think a lot of times people you know will have a client in their chair and you know it's hard to you don't want to feel salesy even though you know that it's the best product for them and you gave the perfect example if you're gonna use what your doctor tells you when you go home like you need to trust your stylist because they're educated in this and they're really only looking out for your best interest and the interest of your hair so Yes, and most stylists will say, I'm not a salesman. If it feels salesy to you, if you're out there and you're a guest, they're not being salesy. They're educated. They believe in these products. Mm -hmm. And if you're investing in a color service with them, you certainly need to support it with what they recommend. Yeah, because we all want to make that color last as long as we can, and so those products definitely help. Yes, and it was really funny hearing it from my friend. Yeah. And then I was kind of (laughs) embarrassed knowing that she had used Swabbed all these years. I mean, what kind of friend am I anyway? (laughs) You're like, we should have... I have caught this a long time ago. I love that. Um, I want to ask you, and I don't think that you and I have ever talked about this before, but um, you've got two daughters. I um, Has there ever been an interest for them to come into this? Is there ever like a mom we really love this? Or what is there? I mean, I know one is very college-driven. Yes. Um, um, you know, they, they both kind of joked around. And, of course, guess what? Like my mother, I said, no, you're not going to beauty school. <laughs> not till after you finish that degree. Right, exactly. And, of course, um, at this time, they one is in accounting, and okay. so she graduated in accounting. And my youngest daughter is starting student teaching. She's a senior at UTC. Yeah. But they are both very, very good. It comes more natural to them to right. do hair than yeah. me, which is funny. No, I mean, they're pretty, like their makeup, like all of that. They just, like, they have it. Yeah. I mean, you can just years. tell that they they look like hairstylists, to be honest. Like, <laughs> they definitely look like hairstylists, but um, yeah, I mean, it's funny. on their own. They're naturally they're probably both better than I was, and let me just say this for those out there listening in school. I will tell you, you've mentioned this before on one of your podcasts, but I just want you to know that the skill level doesn't <laughs> always have to be there. Right. 
I joke around, and this isn't very funny, okay? And I know that I, I, I hope all my instructors have graduated from here, so they're not mad. <laughs> because I'm sure it was no, nothing they didn't do. I mean, yeah. I was pivot point trained, I think. Yeah. But I could not cut hair worth a flip. I yeah. laugh and say, I would not have let myself cut my own grass, let alone someone's hair. But with that being said, I had an incredible clientele. I was not, it, I did not change careers because I wasn't successful. Oh, yeah. It was just another opportunity. Yeah. And what's so f- funny about that is, or, or I, there were girls that worked with me mm-hmm. that never were booked and they really never got to where they needed to be, but their skill set, they could outcut me, they could outcolor me all day long. Yeah. But it's truly about relationships. 100%. And I would just stress that to anybody out there getting discouraged. Mm-hmm. I think uh, color came more natural to me. The cutting always terrified me. Yeah. But it did not hold me back from having a great career. Yeah, exactly. And I think so much of that is just like your giving self. Like you yes. really love to give back and to give to everybody. And like you said, what you put out there comes back. And I think that that's so important for behind the chair. I think that's how you build your clientele. That's how you make money. Um, We joke about this all the time and we say, you know, we can teach you how to do hair. We'll get you there to at least the level you need to be Uh to be somewhat successful. But teaching you to be outgoing and friendly and loving and like, you have to have that coming in. Not that you can't develop it while you're here and develop it, you know, when you're working on clients, but I think it's something that is in you or it's not. Um, and you have to be conscious of that before you jump yes, into this. Yes, you sure. are exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask you, we're kind of, I might cut this out, but we actually I probably should figure out what time we're at. Okay, so 38 minutes because I might cut this out. But I wanted to ask you, so your mom, I was just thinking about this as you were talking about your daughter. So your mom was in the beauty industry at a time where the beauty industry wasn't as respected as as it is now. I think mm-hmm. that you have CEOs, you have people with money that are getting mm-hmm. their hair done that really respect the person that's doing their hair and the mm-hmm. education that they get and where they travel. Like, I feel like that's a little more important than it was in the 80s. Yes. Um, do you think that your mom ever felt like inferior to these people in the university yes. setting? I mean, do you think yes. that she was like embarrassed to yes. say like, yeah, I was a I was a cosmetologist. Like, yes. do you think that that per- pushed her into yes going into that path? It's funny you say that because I hadn't thought of it. But yes, I mean, being surrounded by intellectuals in the eighties and then having this job where it was like this, like um, whatever kind yes. of job. Yes, and she was off. married to someone that had their doctor. Right, exactly. I always laugh. So I, I said, my dad is the smart kind of doctor, not the rich kind of doctor. But, <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. I actually am going to steal that from you. I really like that. But yeah, I wonder if she felt like in fear and like I, I don't. I don't have enough, like, I can only imagine of his position, them going to a lot of events, Mm -hmm. them going to a lot of, like, things where she maybe looked like the dumb one on the outside, but she wasn't, like, and by any means, and I wonder if that propelled her to get It did, and it reminds me of a story she said. Um, She was raised by her aunt and uncle, and I want to say it was early 60s, and she said back then that if you went to beauty school, you were not considered a very smart or rep woman right exactly and she said you know if you were a good girl you were a teacher 
Yeah. Or a nurse. Mm -hmm. And she said, literally, there was such a stigma. And Mm -hmm. it's so interesting because I can tell you that I'm proud to say. Oh, yeah. Like, now we can shout it from the rooftops. Like, we can put it on our Instagram and have everyone following us, watching what we're doing, and, like, really feel respected. Yes. Um, At the salon that I get my hair done, it's it's awesome for me to see these girls that I've known for a long time, like, really get uplifted and really find their voice in their marriages or their relationships that they're in because they're bringing just as much, if not more, um, financial to the table than their counterpart. And I love seeing that. Like, it makes me so proud to be a part of this industry. But that the honest truth of this is that it wasn't always the case. And I think that's why it still has a bad stigma. But thinking back about your mom, I just can only imagine if I was in that situation, I'd be like, oh, no, let me show you, you know, what I can do. And really, like, she had nothing to prove to anybody. Like, she was successful. And look at, like, the happiness that yes. her career has bought her. She wasn't like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to retire. She's like, no, I'm still going to keep going because I love it. And that's the beautiful thing about this industry. And I think that that's the thing that we need to focus on more than anything is just like building ourselves up and building each other up in this world where like it hasn't always been the the popular, you know, the popular sport or whatever, you know, like it's now this industry that like now we that you value. That, I'll plug in some Yes, uh, salon yes. systems just for a minute and I will tell you I think they really helped change years ago when they first came out uh, I can't remember we'll have to ask Michael you yeah. interviewed him yeah. right? when that was I forgot the year but they really taught salon owners how to sit down and how to sit down with these young stylists and you know them and I know them mm-hmm. and what they did is they just broke down okay what are you bringing in a week how many hours you working? Right. And what it did, it was like this huge aha moment, this light bulb. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I make $15 an hour mm-hmm. more than my husband. Right. And not that we're discrediting our partners no, in any I mean, way. No, but it's important. Yeah. But it's just awareness mm-hmm. because I, I do believe that was when we were getting a lot of cash tips or whatever then. Now we have to record all right. that IRS. Just <laughs> we so all you know. Have, we're all doing everything completely we agree legally. With, we, ag- yeah, we record <laughs> every dollar, but it's just, I don't think they were aware. Yeah. And even my mother, when she changed back career, said, I was mm-hmm. making just as much money, if not more, but I was a heck of a lot happier. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, that's the other side of this. When I have, we, we say when we have students that, you know, when somebody comes in and they're like, hey, my mom's in the industry, grandma's in the industry, whoever, there's two different stories we get. We either have the person that's really discouraging them because they've had a negative experience mm-hmm. in the industry or the person that's like, no, I couldn't wait for you to tell me you were going into this and I couldn't wait for you to see how exciting it was, which it might be the feeling you would have if your daughters came yes. in now and said that they wouldn't do this. You you might be like, yes, it's yes. the best. You can't wait for me to do this. Or, you know, you might have a different opinion, but I think it is all that person's experience of it. Because I think we're all just kind of living through our past experiences and can only react to situations kind of on what we know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's kind of the sides that we hear. But I think that it's it's incredible that your mom's still doing this. And like, <laughs> I know, felt like I she has something to prove and then went back <laughs> to know. it. So I think that well, that's, that's passion. It is. And I think that this industry is something that like, you don't hear a ton of accountants being like, oh, you know, or yeah. whatever. Not that you can't have a passion yes. about that, but it's And she volunteers two other days at UT Hospital. So, hey, oh she's running gosh. circles around me. Seriously, I yeah. wouldn't be able to keep up with it. How old is she? 77. Goodness. I don't want to meet her because I feel like then I'm going to have a whole other level of, like, I need to be this and I won't be able to, I won't be able to keep up yeah, with I'm her. Yeah, I'm still trying. 
Um, so something that I kind of got your approval to um, to talk about um, about on this podcast is something that is so special about you. So you were diagnosed with breast cancer um, while being the mother of two young girls. Um, so I want to talk about your experience with that um, and what the industry did to support you during that time. So when when were you diagnosed with breast cancer? I was diagnosed at 33, so 17 years ago. Wow. And so how did you how did you know? How did you find out? Well, that's before I, uh, obviously, it was before I'd ever had a mammogram. Yeah. But just a self-breast exam. Uh, looking back now, it's, it's kind of weird, but right after I was diagnosed, I noticed on the seven warning signs of cancer, when it was persistent cough or hoarseness. And now I look back and I think the Lord was sending me signs because yeah. I was so run down for six months. But I never associated it with a knot that I felt like I felt on my breast. Right. But I was diagnosed with stage 3B breast cancer. Wow. So it was nothing, nothing. There wasn't a lot of positives that was coming out of that It was diagnosis. pretty mean. It was mm-hmm. aggressive. Um, I, have a, I had a rare kind on top of that. Most breast cancers are ductile carcinoma, and they tend to be a little more contained. Mine was lobular, infiltrating lobular carcinoma, so it spreads more like a fishnet or a spider web. And I had a four and nine year old, so scary times. Oh my gosh, yeah. And so, how did you keep your how did you keep your job? How did you stay in the industry? You know, through going through that, which I assume was was chemo, all yes. of those things happening. What what did the industry do for you at that time? Um, this this and I'll get choked up, and if I do, <laughs> I know I've already it's got okay. like, tissues but, like, uh, ready because I didn't know how we were going to be able to do this. This industry is so amazing. Uh, number one, how I kept my job, I had amazing people put in my life you know I believe the right people are in the your life at the right time and I did not have a short-term disability and uh, mine was so aggressive they were like we're hitting you with six months of chemo two weeks you start I mean I literally I was the picture of health I thought because I was listen I was chubby you know me I've always been a little oh fluffy gosh. but I looked healthy except for this other signs you know the white counts and all that uh, but anyway um i had no short-term disability and I, I remember going to the president of the company at that time and saying you know i'm not going to be able to work on fridays every three weeks i'm going to have to have chemo and he was like can you do your job and i was like yeah and this was really way before now it would be so easy to not be in the field every day just because i get so many emails yeah, and you screenshots can do more from home yeah but this is when we were doing time. that typical milk run that people were accustomed to seeing their rep yeah and he was like maintain your territory mm-hmm. so it was just the grace of God mm-hmm. and amazing people in my life that I would miss Friday because I would have chemo and it would be almost a all day thing because I, I had some reactions so they had to spread it out and it, the drip had to go slower and I would have a pretty rough weekend and on Monday I would still feel pretty bad but by Tuesday I was hitting the pavement I wasn't maybe hitting it with the bounce that I would now yeah. but I was calling on people and um the territory I had, I think it's scary anytime things like that happen because you work with a lot of young women. Yeah. And, you know, we all go, wow, that could be me. Right. You know, how old are you? Uh, do you have a family history? No. Can happen to any of us. But I think that 
it made me aware. I was like, I made a lot, a lot of deals back then. I felt like with the Lord, and I was mm-hmm. like, I am going to show everybody. I'm going to talk to everybody. I mean, there may be customers out there to this day. They know what a double mastectomy <laughs> looks like. <laughs> you I, just shared your story and what yes, what you were going through. I had to heal before I started my reconstruction. I had a lot of fun with being bald, and I don't mean to. That's a painful thing for a lot of people. Right. But again, this industry. Right. I just can't say enough about it. Yeah. I felt like I'd had an experience in a salon. Two or three weeks before that, I was in a salon. And this the stylist did a lot of hair pieces and a lot of wigs. Mm-hmm. And he literally was fitting a lady for a wig that was going through chemo. And he said, because he needed to cut it, he went, hey, Bonnie, can you come here? Now, I'm a rep. I'm doing my job. But, you know, we do whatever we have to do. We sweet bear. And he said, can you hold this wig? And I had to, like, put my hand on top of this stranger's head and secure it while he could kind of piece out the sides and the back. Somebody that was going through something that you did not know that yes. you were going to face. Like, you weren't even thinking. Yes. In your and it was painful, was- but I was just trying to kind of make it light, you know, and said, oh, my gosh, this is fabulous. You know, but of I saw her in the, yeah. in the mirror and I saw her pain. Mm-hmm. And so it ended up, when they told me it was going to be that soon, and they said, Bonnie, you will lose your hair from 12 to 14 days. Again, not minimizing it. It's painful. But I knew it was temporary. Right. I thought, you want my breasts, Lord? Okay, take them. You want my hair? Take that, too. Right, but yeah. I've got two kids Mm -hmm. i got to live for, and i got to beat this. So... But when I swallowed them telling me, my, my youngest sister was engaged. So the worst thing was, as I was thinking, oh, no, my hair is not going to look like very good for this wedding. Yeah. So I called this particular stylist and I said, hey, Mike, I know why that happened. And it was Mike Everett. I'll just say it. He was great with wigs. And I said, uh, I said, you know, when I held that lady's wig and he was like, yeah, yeah. And I went, I'm starting chemo and I'm going to have to. I'm going to lose my hair in 12 to 14 days. And my sisters get married, and I'm a bridesmaid. And I remember he said, Bonnie, you are going to have the best wigs <laughs> that's ever been. And boy, did I. Yeah. Now, I had one we named Bonita. She was sexy. She was an updo. And then I had one that was a little, little, little skanky. Her name was Lori because she was spiky and like uh, Lori Morgan was a country singer. Yeah. And she kind of looked like that. Yeah. And then I had one that we just called Bonnie because it was very similar to my hair. Yeah. I love that. And you were placed in an industry that you obviously had some resources available to you or you at least knew where to go. Yes. You at least had somebody to call yes. to help you. And that's something that not a lot of and not a lot of people have but you know kind of while we're talking about this what do you kind of like to share as far as um what we need to be doing as women to get checked when do you start i mean at 33 i mean I'm yeah i would just say I just like this is what i would thought say. about this never let an age dictate you when to start being aware with your body yeah um just because and we i have had genetic testing mm-hmm. and of course that was a concern with having two daughters right. and it doesn't yeah. mean it's their get out of cancer right. never having cancer card but fortunately i do not carry the gene okay. but with that being said the breast center recommended them getting um a mammogram or doing breast self-breast exams 10 year prior to my diagnosis date. Wow, so, so it would have been 23 That would be 23. And wow. I will say during that time, the youngest person I knew was like 27. Okay. And right now, I know a girl in our community that's 30 that's going through it. So I would just say always 
Check your sisters. Yeah. Do it once a month at the same time. Yeah. Just be aware of your body. Yeah. And I did not know at the time, but I had customers that literally were like, Bonnie, you just can't get over that hoarseness. And I was constantly just run down, but I thought I was just a working You're mom. You're a new mom. Like, yeah. It's the just way that, tired. Yeah, exactly. But uh, really... I just just be more aware of your health. Not that we all need to go crazy and be hypochondriacs. Right. Yeah, but to know that that's a yeah. possibility, you know, at a young age. So. And then one other thing I would just like to say in case anybody's listening, and I still call on people that were a part of this, is what did this industry mean to me and my family? They did cut-a-thons. They raised money. They, uh, we started... Um, at that year, there or there were a couple of big salons that were doing cuts for the cure, yeah. and that went on several years, which ended up raising thousands of dollars. Wow. Uh, they they poured out love and support to me and my family, and I tried to just constantly. In fact, the plastic surgeon that ended up doing my reconstruction, I said, "You better make sure these look good because we're going to show everyone in Knoxville," and I literally <laughs> did because. I would say, and I've had a few painful experiences, Bobby, because I went into one salon, I'll never forget it, and I said, hey guys, do you want to see what this looks like? But I I had a desire. I was so scared of what a double mastectomy looked like. Yeah, you know, you right. just think of, okay, they're going to, you know, gut you, what am I going to look like? Right. And um, I wanted anyone that wanted to see that to see it. Yeah. And I've gotten several calls. Unfortunately, through the years, I've gotten yeah. a few like, hey, Bonnie, you remember when you showed me and I know what's coming next? Yeah. And um, they'll go, I just got diagnosed. Yeah. But thank you for showing me that. Yeah. And thank you for showing me the other side of that. Right. Because I know I'm going to get through it. And yeah. I think that's what life's about. Good or bad, we have to show we people. We have to talk yeah. about it. And I think that that's so important. It yeah. says so much about you as a person and being willing to share the good, the bad, the yeah. ugly of an experience and not just, you know, I think all of us grow up in this, you know, now there's like this Instagram world where you can like only show the good. Like, let's yeah. not talk about the bad. Let's only, you know, show the good, the positive, the happy. Yeah. But I think it's important for us to stay real yeah. and to share those experiences because you affect so many people and you, you are in contact with so many people that yeah the chances of this happening to somebody that you knew are, are high yeah. so you need to know and share what you know what to expect from that yeah. um, and I can't imagine this industry without you I can't imagine being at TSB over the last seven years without you so we're oh, just so happy that this you. you came through this because I think that you're a light even more than you know that you are um, and I think it's hard for us to like accept that when people tell you that but you are I mean Thank you're this you. woman that like from the day I told Danny Mason Jones that you were one of the first people I told about this podcast <laughs> and you were so excited you were like yes do it yeah, you know I'm a when big I did podcast it. Girl. yeah but I didn't have a lot of people like supporting that and it's this is just I mean I do something different in the beauty industry that's not behind the chair yeah. and like for you to be so supportive of that like yeah. I just can't imagine not having you here yeah. so we're so happy that that you came through that um, and, and it's really weird Bobby I'll tell people and you don't know this when you're in it I don't know that I would have said it during those six months of chemo but a year, fast forward, I would not change a thing. If you said, hey, Bonnie, let's go back and rewind that year, mm -hmm. those two or three years where you spread out all those chemo, yeah. reconstruction, blah, 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 I wouldn't because it changed me for the better. Yeah. I think that my family was changed. 
Mm-hmm. I think my daughters are more compassionate yeah. and more sensitive to other families going through it. So I'm thankful that that happened, even yeah. though it was painful. Yeah. Because it... That's not an easy thing to say going through something that's so hard, but I think you're right. I mean, I think your daughters um, are incredible, and I think, yeah, them having you as this, like, strong figure, um, I'm sure they're grateful for you. I can't imagine being that age and being scared of losing your mom, who is the world. Like, your mom is your world for so long, you know? Like, I can't imagine the fear that they had, but yeah, you're right. It's great that they get to help people now in that situation, and understanding kids um, going through parents like I think that as they're going to get mm-hmm. older um, there's probably going to be more parents of their friends that are mm-hmm. affected by this you know at an yes. older age and for them to be able to share their experience and to help them through that I mean it just it you know it's the ripple effect were you and I talking about the ripple effect no. was this no. with me or is it am no, I making this I, up that's so funny I'm reading a book yeah uh, it's Tim Tebow's right. mother yeah and she has written a book recently and I just got that's what I'm reading right now. Are you now. serious? Yeah no. so the ripple effect like I just I really believe in that and I really yes. believe that there is this bigger community that if you can live this life and make it not so much only about yourself and if every day when I come to work I can be giving myself to yes I know that I have kids at home and a family and all of that and I give everything to them a hundred percent of the time all the time but like the students that are sitting in my office, like the people that are, you know, the students that are just here at the school, I'm still giving 100% to them as well because I know that there will be an effect where they will then help somebody and it will all come yeah. full circle to make this industry, you know, what it is. And I think that I had to fall into it because I fit, you know, I think I fit here even though yeah. I'm not <laughs> not doing hair at, at all. But I think that like there is just such a, pos- a yeah. positive like message in that. So mm-hmm. I love that. Well, one more thing. I have just one more question for you. Um, well, actually two more questions what um is a piece of advice that you would give to somebody that's in beauty school currently or somebody that's thinking about going to beauty school i've thought about this because you asked everybody (laughs) and i'll tell you i could not really i've got about 10 things but if i only can tell them one i would say be authentic and uh sometimes fake world on facebook fake news Be authentic. And I wrote this down because I didn't want to butcher it because I love it if I can find it. You might be my most prepared guest, by the way. Like, I'm sorry (laughs) everyone else has recorded, (laughs) but Bonnie has notes. She's got a notebook. Like, (gasps) you are so prepared. I love it. It's the best. um, I love what you're doing and how you help people. So I wanted our time together to be impactful. (laughs) But Dr. Seuss once said, today you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is more youer than you. I love that. I read that to my kids all the time, and it's my favorite thing. And yeah. I think that that's, that's the thing that will separate you in this industry, um, you know, like you or dislike you. I mean, I think that, yeah, you have to be yourself, and you like that success will come when you're working hard and just being who you are. Like the people that you're looking up to, anyone that you're following, you probably are like, that's them. Yes. Like when I'm with them, I know that I'm getting their real true self. And yes. and I also think it's easy to pick up on when people aren't being that way. Mm-hmm. So I think you can almost appreciate that authenticity more. So where can we follow you? Where can we see what you're doing? If somebody wants to, to meet you, reach out to you, see your beautiful, <laughs> gorgeous daughters, like where can we follow you at? Uh, I do have a Facebook. Number one, go. And if you haven't signed up, if you're out there, go and sign up for the salon-centric um, get on their website and sign up. They have an app you can download if you're a professional uh, in the industry. Uh, if not, ask your favorite salon about some of our brands. But I'm at Bonnie Webb 
at Salon Centric, and it is tied to my personal Facebook. I don't have two, but hey, if you don't if you don't mind a hundred pictures of my grandkids a day, follow me. They're really cute grandkids. Yeah, so they're I really cute. Recommend the follow. You won't be sorry. And then I'm on Instagram, and it's Bonnie S Webb. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you to our sponsor, Tennessee School of Beauty. You can visit them at TennesseeSchoolofBeauty.com. Follow them at TN School of Beauty on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to follow me at BeautySchoolBobby underscore podcast on Instagram. And visit our website, www.BeautySchoolBobby.com, where you can find all of our podcasts. Make sure you're rating, reviewing, and sharing. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Bye.